journeys into consciousness with spirit guide Gregory Hay, brought through via the mediumship of Sylvie and Mick Avery. Okay, this week is um, a different show from our normal format. Uh, rather than me just asking questions to Gregory, we've actually gone out to our listeners and, um, and asked them to provide questions this week. So what we hope to do as well for future shows is perhaps um, carry some questions over as well um, at the end of each show. Now, we did have quite a large response, so we, we couldn't really fit all the questions into the show, and some questions were probably a little bit personal in nature, so we've had to go for the ones that are more educational, because we really do want to sort of benefit the larger audience base. So we do apologise for any listeners out there that have provided us questions and we couldn't answer them. Anyhow... Um, if there are people that do want to speak to Gregory on a personal one-to-one, you can do. Um, Gregory does provide this through Mick and Sylvie. Um, there's actually an advert on the right-hand uh, side of the website and also underneath the show. So if you look for that, it's called, it's called Acacia Readings with Mick and Sylvie. And how that works, it's a soul reading. So essentially, Gregory actually looks at your book of life. So it's also known as the Akashic Records. And it holds your entire soul history of everything that you've ever done. And not just here on Earth, but across universes and through any um, number of experiences that you've had, whether they're um, physical or energy. So it's absolutely fascinating reading, and it really gives you an insight to who you really are, really, and why you are who you are, because you're, you carry a lot of um, your traits and um, your knowledge, if you like, forward from different experiences. Even though you might not think you do, um, it's all there in your, in your soul memory. So... I highly recommend it. So if you want to check that out and have a one-to-one with Gregory, as I say, just look at the adverts on the right-hand side or an advert underneath this, and um, you should see an advert there. Okay, so um, we're now going to move on and um, just see if Gregory's ready for us. Hello, thank you so much for inviting us, my dear friend. You're very welcome. Um, This week we've um, had a number of people... Um, email some questions in so I thought that we'd make this show um, we'll dedicate the show should I say to questions and answers um, so that we've got some interaction between our listeners um, so anyway I'll fire off because I know we've got we've got quite a few to get through so yeah. right so the first one um, from Claire uh, from Birmingham she would like to know could you ask Gregory whether souls choose their parents before they are born and how it is decided who has children in life and who doesn't? A very good question, my dear friend Claire, and hello and welcome in many respects. Uh, Even though you are not here in person, your energy is. The matter of individuals picking their parents, uh, there are many schools of thought on this, of course. The actual truth of it is that some spirit pure spirit, beautiful spirit, who decide to have a physical life, in a sense, they don't necessarily choose anyone. They just simply let go, and wherever that next joining or coupling is taking place, that is the being that they connect with. And the connection happens through the etheric bead, of course, joining at the point of inception, where two cells divide. So this means then what of uh, particular peoples then who have children or not? Does it mean that uh, individuals are meant not to have children? Well, that would then be like saying it takes away any environmental or physical control that happens because you are physiological beings having a human existence. That is exactly the same as may well happen, shall we say, for a pair of dogs who actually uh, only have one litter of pups and then don't have any more because of some situation which happens chemically or biologically to the the whole uh, status of the apparatus of their uh, reproductive organs. These are physical things, biological things. They are not matters of the spirit world. No one condemns anyone from the spirit world 
into having a physical life without children. It is a biological condition, generally, which dictates whether a, a female or a couple are able to have children or not. If you are coming from a woman's point of view, such as yourself, dear Claire, then this point is obviously a situation which may well uh, speak volumes about needs or desires to be fulfilled, which are perhaps in some respects inherent to do with the genetics of the tapestry of human physical life and the need through instinct to reproduce, to maintain the cell structure and the generic of your pattern of ancestry. That's exactly the same as within any other being uh, in physical life. That is the desire to fulfill that need of ancestral registry uh, within the now. The point is the spirit do not have a hand in it. That's like saying we're all playing God really. That we all in fact affect our own desires and the desires of others. We impress upon others whether they will or will not have children. Is a myth. It's not a desire or design of God to say that couple or that female will never have children. That would be a pitiful thing. And how could anyone ever say that the energy of the creation of all life, which is all loving, could in fact be loving in order to deny a woman uh, the ability to have child? It simply doesn't happen. So with the first part of the question about choosing their parents, yes. how much does the incoming soul know about their parents i mean is, is it from their point of view like a random theme where they just they appear in the physical reality and they really have no clue where they're going to end up or do they have is there at least some souls out there that do have some kind of awareness where they're going or there might be some kind of bond or soul group connection yes it is quite possible although i have to say that generally what tends to happen is that the spirit of one is not matched by the uh, spirit of the parents uh, by divine of their soul group. It is usually that the offspring of a family are not from the same soul group as either of the parents. Sometimes it may happen that they may be of the mother or of the father, but it's actually quite rare. So the general condition in the main happens um, in order for there to be uh, a different thread running through the spirit world, so that there are liaisons and uh, relationships created, not just through different genetic family groups, but also through different realms in the spirit world, different vibrations of intention, different vibrations of uh, the, the whole essence of why a being wants to have a physical life in the first place. So... Is that similar to um, couples, you know, lovers in a sense? I mean, are they, is there more of a chance of being a soul group connection there? I mean, because there's certain people in life that you resonate with and there's other people where you clearly don't, isn't there? There seems to be some kind of soul recognition. Oh, yes, absolutely so. Uh, whereby perhaps they're not necessarily twin souls, but they may actually be opposites. They may actually fight like cat and dog, but still... In, in, in many respects, have a great deal of respect for one another sufficiently uh, for them to uh, actually regard one another in a genetic light, perhaps, which then fuels their relationship and enables it to become even more pure. Okay. So, I mean, for, pa for parents out there that can't have children... Um, so what you're saying is this is more this is a biological thing. It's like an environmental thing that's yes. stopping their organism, their biology, from doing that. Um, yes, it's nothing to do with God, Fred. Yeah, but sometimes that in in that scenario, someone can come into that kind of experience, and by not having children, it enables them to focus on something else that may be more of a benefit. There yes. does seem to be some kind of structure around it. 
That is true, but but I, I'm suggesting here that oftentimes people make synchronicity fit where it isn't necessarily the case that, oh, well, yes, obviously they couldn't possibly have had children because they had to get on with this quality of life. It may well be that they actually took that as an advantage to themselves and that want children because they wanted to do that. That's not saying that they weren't blessed with children. It's saying that they've actually made their own individual mind up to follow a different route. And that is what they've decided to do. That's not then compromising uh, the the landscape of what the creator would have wanted. Uh, oh, oh, woe is me that I haven't done what the creator wanted in having uh, five children or something when I've gone off and been a doctor instead. But that's obviously something that mechanically that person wanted to do and create for that life because of the intelligence that they had or of the simple environment that they found themselves in that they could help to create abundance. Yeah, actually, I understand where you're coming from. You're trying to teach people to have compassion about people's situations and not be quick to judge somebody. Yes, um, absolutely so. So, that's yeah, we've been... Quick. That's correct. That's correct. So within that context, although we have to be very compassionate and not judge, um, obviously there is scope and parameters for people to have a certain direction in life. Um, you know, yes. obviously with um, a good example, Stephen Hawkins, um, he seems to have this disability, but it's allowed him to do something wonderful with his mind that perhaps somebody else couldn't do. So is that a biological thing? Um, that it's just pure luck that he's able to do something wonderful with it or was there kind of a mission almost that you know hey if if i I could really utilize this physical person in this environment to do something really really good yes i understand where you are coming from my dear friend i have to say that dr stephen hawking took the advantage that he saw in his own consciousness and that of his spirit It was not a desire or a design that he would have to be born uh, through some aperture of physical life which would render him uh, actually missing out on large parts of the normal physical life that other people lead because that would otherwise then say that uh, the creation of all life is on purpose uh, bringing about uh, hydrocephalus, uh, is bringing about uh, uh, many of the diseases or is bringing about many of the of the hardships of physical deformity purely and simply so that you can have a wizard or that you can have a, a, a mad scientist who actually uh, is able to create abundance in thinking. The point is that for Dr. Stephen Hawking, he took advantage of what he could see for himself was himself, a road forward. And even though... His body was very twisted, his mind and alertness and awareness of the, the absolute immensity of the horizon in front of him simply illuminated that pathway of what if I can do this. Is that, so is that a sense that if your brain switches off in other areas, then it, it's true that other bits switch on even better? Oh, yes, absolutely so, my dear friend. Uh, human beings only use uh, perhaps an eighth of their physical brain, even less than that for some people. Because I always wonder if, if blind people have got a, a much better inner vision. And so they, although we might not be as good at seeing inwards because they don't have sight, they're able to see things in, in, using their inner sight that's so much better than us. Yes, it's really, though, to do with sensitivity. After all, don't forget, friend, that blind people see nothing at all. It's just blackness. Yes, but I was thinking more their inner vision. Oh, yes, quite so. But their sensitivity is what creates. So, for example, then, uh, if you understand how a person senses with their energy, with their, uh, yes, with their sensing energy, it's something that is almost like you cannot paint it and yet you can sense color. It's like saying that you are sensing a cat without actually seeing that the cat is there, purely and simply because you are sensing everything about feline and everything that you know, or even if you've never met a feline. 
that you would actually know that that, that cat was there. If you were blind, that would be the case because you would be using your sensitive auric state, uh, which then not conjures up the image because you don't have any images, particularly if you were born blind. You wouldn't have any. So the situation would be that the sensing would be uh, something of a divination for you. It would be exacerbated. It would be heightened, created. Okay. Right, moving on to the next question. Um, this one's from Anita um, from the United States. Yes. Um, her question is this, basically. She says, um, almost every time I turn on the radio or TV or pick up a magazine or newspaper, I encounter stories or reports about cancer and other serious diseases. From what I've read about focusing on what you want to manifest, I do not feel that the media's obsession with disease is having a positive influence on the health of our society. What do you think? Do you believe that the amount of time and focus the media, radio, TV, magazines and newspapers devotes to, to diseases such as cancer is actually manifesting more of the diseases they are attempting to eradicate? That's from Anita. Yes, yes. My dear friend Anita, thank you so much for this very important question. And what I have to say is that within the situations of the boundary of disease, recognizing of what that disease is one thing, combating it is a completely different matter. Many people in human thought and form seem to have the registry that everything relies upon the doctor to make it well, or the pharmaceutical company to make it well. I have to say that pharmaceutical companies en masse are, in effect, uh, responsible. You could say, is it that they're responsible for the, per for the perpetual state of cancer being present? Many cancers, in fact, are inherent because of different climatic changes. And many others are created where before there were none. That isn't a myth, it's a fact. And is created partly by the change in environment, partly by the pollution being created by human beings, and also through stupidity, I have to say. So if you have a person that lays out in the midday sun, uh, frying like a lobster on a beach, it is obviously that they are going to possibly become foul of uh, a change in their cell structure because of uh, various different environmental factors that create it. There are many behaviors that human beings create within themselves. The food that they eat, particularly manufactured produce, which creates different chemical changes and balances within the physical body system biologically, which then create uh, different pressures upon your own DNA and cell structure, which then creates the possibility of likelihood of uh, other kinds of cancers developing. Cancer, don't forget, dear friends, are mere changes of your own physical cells. They can sometimes be treated with different kinds of forms of situation. Sound, which has yet to be really fully recognized, uh, it's part of the reason, incidentally, why dolphins have had quite a lot of success in the treatment of children and others, um, particularly in these areas. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to throw the baby into a pond with a dolphin in order to treat it for cancer. I'm suggesting, however, that uh, some of their situations that they create with their sonic vibrations, with their uh, sonar and, and uh, various different apparatus within their physical structure enables uh, the positive charges to be redirected within the states of their cells, of a person's cells, so that it is quite possible, for example, for a dolphin to see right through a human being. And part of this uh, aperture is actually because of the gifts that they themselves possess, partly due, as I say, to sound vibration. Uh, there is to be a lot of work, I understand, on the matters of sound vibration within the work on cancer. But it's also a genetic situation as well. You have to look at that. 
as well as balancing, as I say, very many environmental factors, for example, to do with the whole fact that you are bombarding your cells with uh, innumerate amounts of radiation at this present time, despite what you are told. The reason for this is because of the maintenance of nuclear fission and that kind of reactive source for electrical uh, maintenance. However, I have to say that this is not something which is, uh, needs to be constructed and continuous. You, people, human beings need to move away from that in any event. I know that in nuclear fission is thought of the cleanest possible way of energy, of obtaining energy. It isn't. Waveform is the clearest possible way of maintaining energy for the planet. And it's absolutely free. So the answer to you, Fred, there are many genetics reasons as to why cancers are formed. Some of it, yes, can be created by thought itself by the very prisons that, of thought that people build themselves into. Particularly, I have to say, to do with those who are uh, so very, very become dependent upon uh, certain kinds of uh, medication in order to even maintain their life balance. Uh, particularly, those who become quite upset uh, at the whole situation of their medication history. And in fact, uh, they become quite uh, attached to the whole structure of taking medication of one form or another. Uh, oftentimes, these situations themselves create cancers. And also, of course, so does smoking and living in a smoke-filled environment or living in an environment which has a high carbon rate, living in an environment which has uh, a great deal of... Um, Methane as well can create various forms of cancer. Okay, so it's basically just to summarise, um, I think the question here as well is that I think fear. I think that's what the, the question yeah. is trying to lead to. Is that there's um, a constant, perpetual promoting of fear in all of the mainstream media, um, and a lot of people buy into fear. And if you're somebody that isn't really sort of, uh, I don't know, wise to what's being said, and you can just look above it and um, be objective, if you really buy into that fear and then go into it, it creates very heavy negative emotions that in is the person. So does that, can that cause illness? It does cause illness, absolutely. Yes, manic depressives, it causes abundant uh, illness to do with deep-seated psychological problems and you, it's like you are playing psychological welfare, uh, warfare with yourself. Uh, my point here, however, is, uh, and I, I'm sorry if I detracted from the actual moment of the question, but my, my point really is that many of the fears created within human beings are created by the very human beings themselves in order to perpetuate those fears so then to continue the product, to continue the, the whole uh, enchilada, if you like, the, the way in which you do things, the way that you support one another's industries are really based upon uh, the whole product of what you can create within this life. And I'm suggesting to you, if you create love and abundance, if you create peace and a feeling of well-being, you may be less inclined to want to go to war. You may then be less inclined to want to uh, actually uh, become involved in the business of uh, mass medicating yourself against something that in actual fact is nebulous at best and uh, actually doesn't figure in your life. The point is that human beings are taught from a very early age that they have to fear life itself. So the media's obsession with disease really is creating more harm than good. And um, the people who work in that industry are probably, un they, and most of them don't realise what they're doing, do they? I mean, I, I guess the people at the, the, the top of it may understand that fear is a, a very detrimental thing to society. But it's about money, isn't it? You know, like it makes big headlines. You know, the swine flu thing, they all jumped on it. And now it's just going out of control whenever you watch the news now. They're now saying that hundreds of thousands could die by um, autumn. And it's, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, for people that who 
who may not have done their own research or maybe coming from a, a spiritual aspect of it, you can imagine the fear they must be going through, thinking that hundreds of thousands could die by the end of the year. Yes, I understand that. Uh, the point I have to cite here within that very uh, situation that you cite, my dear friend, is uh, particularly, uh, for example, with Spanish flu that uh, was in the last century, I understand uh, that 14 million people died from that. So the whole condition is that potentially flu or influenza can, in some states of it, be very dangerous. The point that happened with Spanish flu is that it was very mild to begin with, and then it altered its genetic. So it's a matter of if you create uh, an abundance of something and then use the very thing that you are promoting in order to stop the infection, the thing to do is not to use it at the first instance of it, but actually to wait. And the simple thing is that if you look at the many different situations of children who were born, shall we say, of a generation ago, so that is between the years 1940. Uh, five and 1960, you will see that children born at that time are much more robust to certain specific diseases because they've already built an immunity to it. What you have to do with any kind of influenza is to try to build up an immunity system within humankind. That is not going to be developed if you, if you uh, bring out a uh, a knock-it-knock-them-all-dead kind of uh, 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 injection, which will then only send to weaken the energy of the virus or bacteria rather than actually building up an immunity system for the whole body and for the whole being of humankind to then become stronger beings. That's a genetic uh, malpractice, in a sense, to want to do that. You want to uh, allow the natural environment to create the well-being pathway that human beings have forgotten how to do. That's what I'm saying. For many human beings, they need to be able to, uh, uh, in a sense, rub dirt in their faces, that it's not bad to have dirty hands. It's not bad to have uh, dirty feet sometimes either. That uh, whatever conditions that you create, you ha you are a part of the earth. Don't be afraid of it. Yeah, embrace it. I'm very very skeptical about the uh, the vaccines that they're going to materialise soon here uh, across Europe and America as well. And I certainly wouldn't want to be giving myself or my children um, the vaccine. Um, I mean, do you know where the the virus came from? Is that something that you 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 know? I have not actually tracked it myself, my dear friend. I, it is a question I will certainly relay back to the rest of the group and we'll see uh, how they come up with the answer to this. Okay. Right. Um, I've got a question here from Mary. Um, she basically says, right, she would like to ask Gregory to give the true position on global warming. How much of it is our fault? And is there anything we can do as individuals to stop it? Can I ask that the slow, inevitable destruction of our beautiful planet be at least reduced to our man's realisation that he has to make changes? Yes, unfortunately, friend, uh, nothing will stop this. Uh, human beings just have to catch up. That's the truth of it. Uh, so uh, that's it in a nutshell. Uh, the way in which this is created, uh, it was created, 80% uh, of it was created by human activity simply because it's happened in the space of just 300 years. And if you were looking at it as a geological survey, it would be over thousands of years. So that is proof in itself of man's habitation and continual denial of their own selfish state. Yeah. I was actually reading something today um, that was written back in the 80s, I believe. And back in the 80s, there was a massive thing about the ozone layer you know, yes. everyone knew about the ozone layer. And back then they were saying that um, there was huge holes appear, uh, that appeared over the, the South Pole um, yes. and Australia and stuff like that. And also there's lots of other holes like Swiss cheese scattered around and stuff like that. But we haven't really heard much about the ozone layer 
anymore. So is, is it gone away or is, it, is the media just kind of buried it? No, they buried it, friend. It's still there. In fact, it's worse than ever. The point is that if you look at the South Pole at this present time, uh, there, are, uh, there is a very large hole now. I mm. understand. And the reason why that is is because the energy is actually gathered at the poles, uh, the, the methane gases and that kind of thing, which animals and human beings create in their march of life are actually partly responsible for that, and also, of course, the cessation of the creation of uh, the well-being within the oceans, which then dictate the, to the amount of oxygen released within the, in, in, in the atmosphere as well. That is also a, a part of the whole equilibrium. It's just the same as any other organism. Yeah. Crikey. I mean, the people in the know, they, they must be worried, surely. I mean... They've kept us all blindly, not knowing anything about it. But these, there's people that know, and you know, if if I was in that situation, how they can live with themselves, not really getting the information out there, where people could really take action. Yes, I understand that, and actually actively stopping it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the point. Uh, but that's purely because of their own selfish greed and um, their self-serving nature. That is what you as human beings have to stop and why it is that this kind of situation cannot be delayed by the spirit world. We don't have a hand in it. It's of the physical no. world and you are beings of the physical stuff. We have seen yeah. countless other beings from many different universe of many different planets, many different systems who have failed their planet too in exactly the same way. Yeah. Cause there's also um, in this report that I read it was written in the 80s as well the guy said um, that it's too late because even if everybody on the planet right now stops using CFCs right now it would take 15 years for that problem to, to actually um, it, I think it would take 15 years before we'd actually see the benefits of that because it can take that long for the gases to rise up into the ozone to cause damage. Yes, that is very true, absolutely true. And, of course, that's compounded by the many different animals and situations of methane gas, which is also a very prime, uh, absolutely a prime factor within the whole ozone problem. Uh, this simply is not going to go away, even with the uh, distillation and the gradual numbing down of the amount of carbon that you release into the atmosphere. It's really much more about methane and really much more about the well-being of the oceans that will either stop this or exacerbate it. Okay. Right. Okay. Moving on. Um, can you still hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. Um are you familiar with the um, necro? Um, I'm going to see if I can pronounce this correctly. Uh, Necronomicon. It's um, it was a, apparently a fictional book written um, by an author called H.P. Lovecraft that spoke about a book of spells um, that's supposed to be very powerful and um, if used in the wrong hands can cause um, immense evil people using it for the wrong reasons yes. um, and, and good for the persons who are using it with the right intentions and what the um, the questioner would like to know is that has there ever been any metaphysical manifestations associated with this book yes is the answer yes there are certain orb like uh, situations that have been created very negative ones left in people's dwellings which generally last for uh, several weeks there have been situations of great negative entropy created by beings of ill intent, particularly upon others uh, on your side of life. So th- is this book real? Was, was, the, was the author actually writing about something that was real then? Unfortunately, actually touched upon something which was uh, there's a whole uh, other realm of uh, understanding, which I understand has been, uh, to all intents and purposes, kept secret and hidden uh, within the Vatican itself. It's, it's, it's not to do with reflective druidry. It is uh, much more sinister than that. Druidry, in actual fact, was a very good uh, situation that was then overtaken by Christianity purely and simply because of their desire for power. 
Okay. So can people protect themselves from somebody who's got evil intent using spells? Well, that's another matter, my dear friend. Uh, that yes. is a matter of well-being of the individual and a case of them instituting their mind consciousness in order to uh, try to uh, create a backwater boundary, if you like. It isn't necessarily something that will work in itself. And in actual fact, there have been many uh, beings of physical state who have been inundated by uh, unwanted and unwarranted negative energies from our side of life. And I know that there are many people who, with their own disdain of this subject, will actually willfully detest, uh, test that this simply does not exist. I am very uh, abundantly clear within this. The spirit world is made up of many different dimensions and many different uh, vibrations of intent. Within the physical life boundary, there are many intensively negative people uh, created and given. And it is a matter of whether they are able to overcome that demented state or not during their physical life. If not, they will travel with it to the spirit world. So if someone was to use something like that with evil intent, does it come back to them in this life? Because there seems to be a lot of um, stories around people that use negative spells and evil intent and bad things seem to happen to them. Or is it because they just surround themselves with very bad negative spirits, or not spirits, but negative energies? Um, or the spirits, yes. I, yeah, I, when I said the word spirit, I was thinking more of a pure spirit. Um, but I suppose you can have negative spirits as well. Well, we're not talking about spirit purity here. Right. We're talking about consciousness journey. So mm-hmm. we have to separate that. The, the spirit of an intensively negative person is still beautiful, is still pure. The unfortunate part about it is that humankind has, in effect, developed this occasion of spirit as being everything, when in actual fact, spirit is pure and is God and love itself. The energy that creates a negative spirit is negative consciousness created within physical matter. It's not created within the spirit world. It has to have a physical life in order to create it from the murky world, from the three-dimensional or or, or thesis of uh, physical matter. That is what creates negative energy and negative thought forms and negative consciousness. The consciousness journey then, when passed, uh, along with the spirit, then cloaks the spirit in that negative energy. The beautiful spirit cannot get out. The thought form is then the consciousness of that being's journey and how that being may then struggle to free itself or uh, descend into further chaos. I don't mean that as descend into hell, incidentally. There is no heaven and no hell. There is only love or uh, intensive negative state. The energy of the spirit creation of all life is to do with the energy of love. Okay. Wow. Right, okay. Um, Another question from Sue. Um, She wanted to know, um, could you ask Gregory why Michael Jackson had to die as he gave so much love into the world and raised us up with his music? Will his children be okay? A lot of people are going over recently. Can you explain, please? Yes. First of all, then, Michael... Did he have to die? Well, it wasn't a plan. No one planned it. His situation became exacerbated by his, uh, the strain on his physical body system. That's why he passed. Partly due to the uh, overriding effects of what he was taking at the time, I understand, but also to do with his exertions. Um, because he needed to be consistent and his energy was very consistent, but he had to really work at it in order to get that, to to make that available. So, my dear friends, 
It wasn't an event that was planned. We are very, very sorry for you to have lost him. Granted, it is our gain. But this is not a gain in a sense that we applaud over. We are saddened by humanity's loss of a great humanitarian. And I mean that most fervently. He was very misunderstood, wasn't he? Yeah, basically. Deeply yeah. misunderstood. Uh, his whole effect really was that he actually did love everyone and couldn't understand why people would uh, want to do him harm. Now, the situation about his three children are that they were beloved by him. And they have those memories to take with them. And also for them to know that he will be with them. The point really is that they will never be alone. And so for all of their mistrust of human beings, fellow human beings, which they have a lot of, because they have a very uh, narrow aperture window of what they see. And we uh, would only hope that, uh, given the right energy and the right impetus, that they will themselves find the people that they truly are and create beautiful gifts of spirit themselves for their own beautiful light journeys, as they surely will. And I'm sure that he will not be far away, helping them and willing them along their road. Okay. Okay, got a question here from Margaret. She would like to know if the deceased live on Earth in another dimension. And two, when one forgives another correctly, is that sin forgiven generations back, like all the way back to the first human in their DNA who performed the same sin? Well, let's answer the... The first question. Yes. Um, The situation of... No, actually, I was going to ask the last part first. Um, The situation of this forgiveness. If you forgive a person of one crime, does it go back to all of the generations of human beings that ever lived, right back to the first person who committed that crime? If you are truly going to forgive somebody for a crime that they committed, perhaps to a loved one or friend or, or some other such situation, how are you really going to connect with that person? You have to understand that forgiveness is in actuality part of the recompense and reconciliation for that person once they, uh, uh, after they have passed to our side of life. But it's also, of course, something that's actual. So if you, on the surface of it, forgive a person in physical life, perhaps that they uh, took the life of a loved one of yours, or something perhaps uh, even, well, differently abhorrent. Uh, Perhaps they abused someone that you knew, perhaps a child. That situation is, in a sense, going to be only relative to that person. It takes a great deal for someone to genuinely forgive someone else for such a deed. It also takes a great deal for someone who's done such a deed to accept forgiveness from someone else, even if they've passed to the spirit world. And certainly, if they haven't passed to the, to the spirit world, they may well be just laughing at that situation. So, are you going to insist then that your forgiveness is more pure than their laughter at your trying to forgive them? Or am I just being cynical? The point is here that for many people, dear friends, when they forgive one person, that is the person they're forgiving. The forgiveness of situations that happened centuries ago or thousands of years ago are matters for those families and those ancestors at that time. That particular time field, in fact, is of a completely different vibration to where you are now. So it means to say that the association for you, for beings through DNA processes to then go back 
through the family group and family tree are inherently difficult to accommodate. What you have to understand is that when you are looking at people from the last century or like myself three centuries ago, it is in fact very difficult, had been very difficult for a person like myself to actually come through with this much clarity. The clarity of myself, if you like. The simple reason I'm able to do it is because of Little Bird. Here sat to my left, uh, dear Sylvie, who gives the energy to the group that allows this balance to maintain. If you are going to then forgive someone for the whole line of a discrepancy that they created, which is purely behavioral based and nothing to do with genetics, how are you personally going to be able to forgive something through genetics when it wasn't genetics that were at fault, but purely a decision process? Don't forget, friends, that when people pass to our side of life and they have created a pathway of dystoic nature, they genuinely have people to mediate and to mentor them who have also created the same genetic pathway in order to help them over their problems, causes and desires to be redefined in that way and then enable the whole process to uh, perhaps be uh, understood by the individual and also to be uh, completely reciprocated and in a sense, laid to rest. They have to forgive themselves in order to ask for forgiveness of somebody else. If a person abused your child, shall we say, and then subsequently passed, it will be a matter of your child to forgive them, but also for you to forgive them for doing it. And then they, in turn, would have to come to forgive themselves. That may take not in consequence of time on our side of life, but in time on your side of life, a very long time to accommodate. Yeah. Would you like to repeat the first part of your question? Okay. The first question is, um, um, do the deceased live on Earth, but in another dimension? Yes, 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 quite so. Uh, well, that's like saying, how is it that the spirit world is made up of houses and boxes and this and that, and you can have orchestras and fields and water and everything else that you would expect to find upon the earth? Part of the situation that is relayed from the spirit world to the physical side of life is that, in fact, the fabric of the spirit world is ever-changing. It may matter to do with the matters of life of that individual as to how they reconnect with the energy of their memory. Cell memory plays a very great importance, consciousness. And in many respects, it will be that the fabric of the spirit world is created by the illuminate uh, beings called shining ones. And they are not necessarily of human descent, but maybe of many different forms of energy, or perhaps never ever having had any kind of physical life at all. They create the, the precipitous situations of fields and uh, the possibilities of water and the general landscape of the environment that we would determine as being heaven, if you like, or the spirit world. Yet, of course, there is no heaven. It is just in the embodiment of what you feel it is. If you are a being then who say you want to have a nice house in the spirit world when you return, how is it possible to be built? Well, there are still stonemasons because there were stonemasons in physical life. They may not be stonemasons of Earth's physical form. They may well have become from another planet entirely and be of a completely different structure. It is quite possible that these will be the beings who will consult with this. They are thought forms. They are going to build with real stone. How could spirit even lift real stone into the ether world that doesn't exist or that is not of the Earth's physical vibration to enable it to contain anything of matter? 
The very fact that many people uh, understand these discrepancies and feel, oh, well, surely that's the earth. Yes, of course. There are many, many tribes, many beings, my dear friend, who still exist within certain frames of reference within the, the physical world, but remain in the spirit world. I cite, for example, people of uh, the Blackfeet, people of the Crow, people of the Chippewa, or people of the Mandan, or people of the Ute, many, many of the hundreds and thousands of tribes who have ever lived upon the physical earth will have their ancestry based within the beautiful places or the bad lands or wherever it is that is in the spirit world. Yes, that is also in the physical world. Yes, because their consciousness, that's where it is. So they're attracted to that place. It's why it is that when you go to a particular place, shall we say, uh, in, um, in, shall we say, somewhere like uh, Wyoming or, or whatever, that you embrace the energy of the Crow people because they actually lived there and because many of their thousands and hundreds of thousands of ancestors are buried there through countless generations of thousands of years. That means all of their love, all of their energy is still there present. It's in the spirit world, yes. And they acknowledge all of the mountains that still exist, the changes in scenery, the rivers, the streams, the animals that progress in their life. All of these beings are part of the physical fabric and also part of the spirit world. For some they may well like to continue to journey there. It doesn't mean to say they're held there or stuck in any way. It's just because they use their consciousness in order to create that as a possibility because of love they have had for that environment. Okay, thank you, Gregory. Um, just got two more questions I think we can fit in uh, before we can wrap up, actually. Um, this question is um, from Denise. Um, she lost her granddaughter who passed eight, eight months, uh, several months ago. And what she would like to know is, are spirit able to immediately or within a couple of days of passing to come back within the same family? And the reason why she says this is that my daughter now has another daughter who is very much like the first one and, and like the first daughter, totally unlike the two sons. So I guess what she's saying here is that um, the, um, the the other daughter that's come back is very similar to the first one. So she wants to know, um, can the same spirit come back um, if they pass very young or very quickly? But my point here has to come from the frame of, of what is. How do you determine a spirit to be nurtured or to be uh, that it must have a physical life? Is that what you're saying? That spirit has to have a physical life in order to subjugate anything or to think or to be creative or to want or desire. Spirit are spirit purely and simply. Your daughter remains in the spirit world and your new foundling is an individual, a different spirit. Your newfoundling is a being with love in their heart, exactly the same as your daughter had love in hers. And whether a person passes at three days or three months or three years, it will be not for human beings to then discern well, they haven't had their full life, so how can they possibly be illuminated? How can they possibly be uh, uh, garlanded in the same kind of knowledge that we are? How do you know that spirit has not already accepted all of that knowledge from the situation of their observation of humankind? And all they needed to do was just merely touch the earth for just a few short months or a few short days just to perhaps catch one breath and then return to the spirit world. You also have to understand the similarities of physical genetics here that are present and also the reasons as to why a being simply does not continue to exist 
is because the physical being biologically is not capable of existing in continuous state. That is not a desire or design upon the spirit, and it doesn't mean that spirit is a lesser being for only had that short, brief journey. It may well be that your daughter in the fullness of time at His granddaughter, I, actually. At, granddaughter. At a, well, yes, a granddaughter at a period of time that this situation actually is created by a pathway, perhaps uh, once all of your family have returned to the spirit world, that she decides to go off and do something completely different. And perhaps it may well be that she decides to be something like uh, perhaps fairy, or maybe not. It's usually actually to do with stillborn children or beings who have maybe not even uh, touched human life but have been terminated previously that actually find this a desire within themselves. Whatever children or grandchildren, I'm speaking for many different families here within many different resolutions, of their, uh, the aspect of their relationship. You may see and define that if a child or grandchild has died recently and then another is born of the same family, oh, look, it looks exactly the same. Well, yes, possibly so. Or it reacts exactly the same. That can oftentimes be because of the environments that are similar. It may also be because of the spirit of the previous child is very close to uh, the one now born. So in many respects, there are animations going on between the two spirit individuals. Okay. Right. And, and just a final question um, before we close, because we're actually running out of time now, yeah. uh, from Alison. Um, this is actually quite a lovely one, actually. Um, she says she loves listening to the show. It's very enlightening. And she, believe it or not, she became a vegetarian after listening to Gregory. Um, but she can't give up fish yet. So the question um, she wishes to ask is, I've always loved coarse fishing as I find it very relaxing and often go with my cousin. I've always been led to believe that it doesn't hurt the fish when caught and we, and we always put them back. What are Gregory's views on this, please? As, um, you know, is it wrong to give it up? You know, so it, as if he says... It, I think what she's saying is, if it's wrong, she will she will give up eating fish or maybe um, give up um, fishing. Well, my dear friend, uh, I actually advocate the eating of fish. So uh, the reasons are because you're a human being. You live in a human physical environment. I am not suggesting here that everyone become vegetarian. I am suggesting, however, that if you want to become an enlightened being... In this physical life, that means if you want to attain enlightenment in this physical lifetime, you need to give up all forms of eating of physical life that breathes life. Yes? In, in many other respects, if you wish to eat meat, then go and do it. If you wish to eat uh, lamb or chicken or fish, and that is what you like to do, understand that it is something that means you will not attain enlightenment in this physical earth life. So, uh, as a matter for you and your enjoyment of fishing, my dear friend, I would not ask of you to commit to leaving a past time that brings you energy, both in uh, a, an ability to step outside of your own physical self so that you can perhaps perceive a great deal more about your life than otherwise would become apparent. I uh, understand that you are dutifully bound, that you would wish to put the fishes back that you catch. And that is a most honourable state. It is more the pity that many people who go shark fishing 
would do the things that they do to them. And it would be far better if uh, that was something that was given up entirely. For many other people who catch fishes in the sea and then eat them, well, it is the bounty and the process of physical life. It's what you are as physical human beings. Fish oil is, in fact, extremely good for you. It is very nutritious and is extremely empathic with your energy. Human beings en masse need fish oil in order to survive because many of the other natural oils now synthesized are not as, in fact, as beneficial to human beings. So this then begs the question, does it mean then that human beings have to exacerbate all the oceans of fish? No. It means that human beings have to become wise and create fish farms in order to, to keep that part of the environment glowing and healthy. The simple way of this whole process is, if you want to attain enlightenment, as I say, don't eat anything that has been living, as in breathing in any form of life. Uh, plants are different matter altogether. Yeah. So, but I mean, you say that if someone wants to eat meat, go and eat meat. But surely, if people um, decide to give up meat, um, then they're not contributing to the, uh, the the body of fear, if you like, are they? Because they're not creating fear in those animals. So, it's, it's, if, if you know one less person eats meat, that's got to be a good thing. Yes, I am not disagreeing with you, my friend. But I am saying and suggesting here that human beings, in the main were born, brought up genetically carnivorous. And that means to say that uh, from the time of cave dwellers in the third cycle or from the time of many other cycles of human events that there have been over the five million years of human existence, there have been beings who have eaten animals and have done so virtually nonstop. The point is that you cite the fear that the animals may be in. I agree with you. Most certainly animals that have to go to a slaughterhouse first to be slaughtered, un in fact, know what is going to happen to them. They understand it. And that's why they're fearful. A situation in the wild where a person uh, goes and shoots an animal and then eats it is not something that I can outright say is wholly wrong. I cannot. It's simple that human beings must recognize where they are at that time. If you wish, as I say, to attain real enlightenment, if you really want to be a beautiful, loving being, wholly and completely, don't eat another living animal. Would cheese um, be included in that if you was to eat a product of an animal like cheese or milk? Well, the point is, my dear friend, cheese and milk is created uh, through the pathway of very destructive uh, situations through cattle or goats. So it depends, doesn't it not, on where you draw your uh, proverbial line in the sand. Do you want to eat cheese and milk but not look at the uh, calves which are bound in veal crates and never to walk? purely and simply, that they are the products of those uh, masses and masses of calves born simply because you want milk. Okay. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I just, yeah, I just wanted to sort of wrap up, the, uh, have the whole question yes. answered, really, the whole, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, absolutely so. The other point I have to make, my dear friend, is, upon that subject is, in fact, of course, that at, at certain times and, and reference of human history, you will see that at times when there were uh, w when there was less and less cheese and milk consumed from cattle, that actually the raise the rates of cancer correspondingly fell. Yes, I've read that study. I read that study. After World War II, that happened, wasn't there? Yeah. Yes, that's right. Uh, that's actually because of a situation which happened in Holland and also mm. Denmark, that's I correct. understand. Yeah. Yes, thank you. And the whole situation, of course, was created uh, purely and simply because uh, they had to do the study to understand whether the child, children 
from that time period were actually uh, suffering because of the advents of polio and all those other different kinds of diseases. That was really what instigated it. Uh, so they did not realize that there was this underlying uh, current of actually children who, in point of fact, would be less susceptible to cancer than those who had consumed vast quantities of cow's milk and mm. cheese. Okay. Goat's milk, incidentally, is quite different. Is that more beneficial? Yes. Okay. Well, it's good to know there's an alternative <laughs> for anybody that needs to drink milk. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good show, uh, Gregory. Thank you for answering those questions. Um, if anybody's got any other questions I'd like to um, give to Gregory for future shows, then please feel free to send them in. Um, we'll try to answer a couple of questions at least in the normal shows, and then we'll do a dedicated show like this one as well. So again, thank you, Gregory, for um, answering the questions tonight, and um, we'll see you next time. With love and light, peace be upon your journey, my dear friends. God bless everyone. With love.